Welcome to Cornerstone Bible Fellowship's online sermons. Join us each week as we dig into the truths of God's Word. You can find our sermons online at cbf.us slash sermons. We'd love to have you join us for our worship service on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at our campus at 7351 Warden Road, Sherwood, Arkansas. Now, let's listen to this week's sermon. would open your Bibles this morning to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Today we're going to talk about evangelism, the, the need for evangelism. And evangelism is one of those interesting topics that if I were to ask any true born-again Christian, is evangelism is, is that important? Sharing the gospel with people that don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they're going to say, yes, of course it is. It's very important. And if I were to follow up with that that question, say, and do you feel that you do it enough? Are you evangelistic enough? Probably the vast majority of people would answer that one, no, I'm not. I mean, I can tell you all the statistics that go along with that, but no, most people would say, most Christians would say, they're not. It's much like when a doctor, where we talk about eating healthy. Is eating healthy important? Most people would say, yes, I should eat healthy. Do you eat healthy? Most people probably say, I've seen you eat. Say no. (laughs) Move to the south, fry everything. I mean, you know, we fry it all. We do up there too. But evangelism, and and so we know it's important. We know it's something that the Bible commands. It's the great commission that Jesus gave us. Go and make disciples of all of the nations. Yet we would often, if if we're honest, say, is it something that's on the forefront of what we do? Is it something that anybody that looks at us would say, boy, they're out there all the time on the front lines sharing the love of Jesus with everybody they meet, sharing the gospel, what it means to be saved? Probably not as much as we would like. And so how do we, as a pastor, try and get us all, myself included, a lot of people think, you know, well, you're a pastor, it comes easy to you. Not necessarily, it isn't. You know, you see a lot of doctors, they tell you to be healthy. Is every doctor you meet healthy? I guess they all are. No, it's not easy. And so how do you do it? I mean, sometimes, and probably one of the more popular ways is just to make people feel guilty, Right? They just sit there and read all the statistics that less than about 5% of Christians regularly share their faith, and that means the vast majority of us are in the camp of 95% that don't. And you need... But guilt, I've discovered, usually just makes people feel worse about themselves, but it doesn't actually increase anybody's participation in evangelism. It doesn't really change a whole lot to just continue. I mean, we know that we don't do it enough. And then we have programs. Evangelist or, or EE, Evangelism Explosion, there's faith. There's lots of different programs that exist in churches, and these are great. Some of you maybe have participated in those. I've participated in them. But what I've noticed in a lot of churches, when there's a program for it, it starts out gangbusters. First night, huge crowds of people. We're ready to go. By month two, there's like two people in the front row. It's tough. For most churches, in essence, it's become a hope for the best strategy with evangelism. It occasionally pops up in a sermon here or there. We know it's important, and we just trust that somebody out there is doing it. Maybe it's the pastor, maybe it's the elders, maybe it's the staff, maybe it's somebody, but we just trust it's there. Well, today we're going to look at, in John chapter 4, an example of Jesus being evangelistic. It's a story familiar to most of us, Jesus and the woman of Samaria. 
And here he's had the interaction with Nicodemus back in chapter 3. But here in chapter 4, this is when in Nicodemus he was a religious leader and a ruler and all of those things. The woman in Samaria, we don't know her name, she was by far and away an average person. But Jesus, in, in, in pretty much most of this chapter, spends this time talking with this woman, sharing with her the most important message she will ever hear. And it's a great example for us, certain characteristics, certain principles that we see in what Jesus does that we can implement in our lives to hopefully for all of us, myself included, become more of what Jesus called us to be, disciple makers. So in the honor of God's word, I'm going to ask you to stand this morning. Don't worry, we're not reading all of John chapter 4, but we are going to read about half of it, beginning in verse 1. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that uh, Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field of Jacob, the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir... You have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water. So that I will not be thirstier, have to come here to draw water again. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said, You're right in saying, I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where our people, our people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But for the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When he comes... He will tell us all things that Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Lord, I thank you for what you have shown in this passage, this great example you have given us. Lord, I pray that we would follow it. And Lord, I pray for an extra dose of your Holy Spirit on each and every one of us as we go into this world today. In your name I pray, amen. You may be seated. So Jesus has this, it says there at the beginning of chapter 4, it gives us a little of the background. He's traveling around, he's going from various places, he's, he's become bigger than John the Baptist in popularity, people are coming to him, his ministry is in full gear. And as he's traveling around, he gets thirsty, shows up in, in, in this area, he he's, comes to this well, 
And his disciples go in, it tells us this, to go get something. So there he is by himself. And a woman shows up to get some water. And that's this episode here. All of those details just kind of help set the scene for where we are. And it helps present, gives these details, as we'll see, help us understand how Jesus really deals with evangelism. And the first thing that jumps out from this passage is when we want to be more evangelistic, we have to recognize the walls or the barriers to evangelism. There are walls, there are barriers. Satan, the the thing that he hates most is when we are evangelistic, when we're sharing the truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so there are, in our lives, various barriers. Here, it's the fact that this woman was a woman, and she was Samaritan. Uh, To to put it in perspective, in the first century, Jews, it says there, they had no dealings with the Samaritans. That was a polite way of saying it. They hated each other with a deep, deep passion. What What is Arkansas's biggest rival? Anybody? Everybody's just, I don't know that. Oh, Alabama. Is that Alabama? Okay, is that good enough? <laughs> Texas A&M, whatever. I don't know. I'm from Penn State. It would be Ohio State or something like that. They hate each other, all right? They don't like each other. They have nothing to do with each other. Take that, multiply it by 50. That would be the typical Jewish-Samaritan relationship. The Samaritans were considered by the Jews to be somewhat of half-breeds. They, didn't, they, they saw them as less than dogs. They did not like them. And you throw in on top of that, not only was this woman a Samaritan, she was a woman. Jesus, normally in a public scene, would never deem himself to talk to a Samaritan, especially a Samaritan woman. That's why she says to him, why is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? And so Jesus, there, there, this, this huge block, this huge wall to evangelism is right there, but Jesus deals with it. And, and it's something that we have to recognize in our own lives, that as we live our lives day in and day out, evangelism, there are just barriers to it. One of them is simply that as Christians, the longer you are a believer, there's just a tendency to become more and more cloistered with other believers. I've shared with you my testimony that when I graduated high school, I began to drift far from the Lord. So much so that it was about six or seven years later, it culminated in me getting a DUI, and that kind of was the impetus God used to get my life back on track. But during those six or seven years, I developed a lot of close relationships with people that did not know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. They would have emphatically told you that. But as I came back to the Lord, as I started going back to church, I started making relationships within the church, getting more involved, eventually going to seminary, becoming a pastor, and pastoring churches, that group of people that I knew that did not know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord that I spent regular time with got smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. Now, in some ways, that's good. I needed to develop brothers and sisters in Christ to support me. I needed to develop brothers and sisters in Christ so that we could build each other up and bear each other's burdens as the Bible teaches us. But that also becomes a barrier to evangelism because I have less and less relationships with people who don't know Christ. And if I were to, and I'm not going to do this, but just kind of ask you and talk to, to, to you and, and all of those things and say, who are your close relationships with? Who do you spend most of your time with? Most of you would probably say, in, in essence, the longer you're a believer, the more it is with other believers. And it's a recognition. There's nothing, like I say, wrong with having good relationships with believers. But we have to recognize that takes us away from a lot of worldly relationships. We also have barriers like incorrect thoughts about Jesus. We live in the South. Most of the time today, still when you talk to people or the subject of Christianity comes up, people have some idea or thoughts about it. Many people think they're believers that might necessarily not be. 
But a lot of people have ideas and thoughts that become barriers to evangelism because as you begin to share the gospel, like, ah, I got that, I'm good, I know, I'm fine. And then there's just the plain awkwardness of it. There's a reason why there's a saying, you shouldn't talk about politics and religion. You know, you hear that phrase because it, I mean, if you ever look at comments on Facebook or whatever, those things, when those topics begin to come up, people get pretty heated pretty quick, don't they? Now, there are walls, there are barriers to evangelism that come up that just, that's why it's difficult. That's why when you ask people, are you as evangelistic as you think you should be? Most people answer no, because they're, it's hard. It doesn't mean that we don't do it. It doesn't mean that we can excuse it, but it does mean we recognize that. And so that means as Christians, we must do what Jesus does here, look for bridges. Look for ways, look for paths that we can use to reach people who don't know Christ as their Savior and Lord. In the second part of verse 7, what does Jesus say? Give me a drink. Where were they? They're sitting at a well. Where was it? It was Palestine, Middle East, hot, desert, kind of like here sometimes, except probably a little less humid. He was thirsty. And it's just a casual conversation that that sparks this this great evangelistic encounter that's recorded us for all time, and it started with, I'm thirsty. We have to, as, as, as Christians, begin to look at our lives, and this is such an important point for all of us, as finding ways and methods to build bridges to people to share the gospel. When I was in seminary, when I went to Mid-America, they had something there that was kind of unique amongst seminaries. Something that we all had to do was called practical missions. And it meant that for one hour a week, we had to do something outside of a church setting with an evangelistic focus. A lot of the guys, we went down, that was in Memphis, Tennessee, we would go to one of the missions that they had there. That was what I did a lot of the time. And I would go down there, it would be Tuesdays or Thursdays, whatever time around dinner time, with the idea that I was going to help serve food. I mean, usually I'd throw some mashed potatoes or something on a plate, but that really wasn't the reason why I was there. I would show up about an hour ahead of time, and the guys would be outside, or they'd be sitting there in the little area where the tables were or whatever, and I would just sit down and talk to them. How you doing? Whatever. Some guys blew me off, didn't give me the time of day, this, that, or the other thing. But a lot of times, there'd be at least one or two guys that would strike up a conversation. And we would talk, and it would always give me an opportunity at some point to share some aspect of Christ with them. And I owe a lot to the seminary for forcing us to say, you have to be intentional about sharing the gospel. If you don't, it just often will never happen. You have to look for those bridges. Now, in my life today, as a pastor, as, as crazy as this sounds, it's actually it, it's hard to do. It's harder than it is for a lot of you because most of my interactions are with saved people. I'm a pastor. It's church people that come in, and not all of them are saved, but most of them are. I work with believers, I think. No, I'm just kidding, Nick. Yeah, I know, I know. So one of the things I do is I coach sports upwards, basketball, soccer, football, you name it, bocce, no, but it's just you, it's to sports. You just find different ways, and it allows me to meet with parents, allows me to talk to young people. This year I got to coach fifth and sixth graders, kids that are getting right at that age where they're starting to ask some serious questions, talking to me about various things going on in their life. And I don't just coach because I feel like, well, I want to coach the sport or whatever. That's one of the the tools, that one of the ways I see is God saying, this is a, a bridge that you can form. And all of us have those. You have hobbies, don't you? Think of your hobby. Think of some of the things that you like to do. 
Is there a way you can use that hobby or that activity or something that you do to build a bridge with people that may not know Christ? I knew a guy who was a golfer, loved to play golf, and so he set aside some money in the summertime to join a golf league. But he intentionally joined a league that wasn't a Christian league or the church league or whatever to join up with some other guys that he didn't know with the, the, the intent of forming a relationship with those guys to maybe be able to, to share the love of Christ with them. And get to play golf at the same time. I know people that they, 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 they go to nursing homes. There's people that go to city missions. We have step ministries. If you looked today in your worship guide, there's, there's this coming up, the step mentoring program. There's an opportunity. Now, these things take time. They'll take time out of your week. They'll take time out of your busy schedule. They may cost you money. But, I mean, think of all the songs that we just sang about the glory of Christ and amazing and he's wonderful and all of these things. If you really believe that, then an hour out of your week, is that too much? A couple bucks here or there, is that too much? I know people that go to pregnancy centers to counsel young women or young men that, that uh, are in a very difficult position in their lives. But we have to look for the bridges. We have to build those bridges. We have to take advantage of them. It is going to take time, energy, and effort to do that. But that's what Jesus called us to do. There are walls. So we have to look for the bridges. And then we have to, as we see in the next little part here, use the bridge to meet a person not complete a project. Jesus has a deep conversation with this woman. Now, he knows things about her there when he asks about her husband that we probably won't automatically know with somebody we've never met, or you're really good. But he begins to talk with her and find out what's going on in her life and begins to share with her. And what I mean when I say we meet a person, not a project, when evangelism becomes just something on a list, a checkoff list, a box, or a category, it becomes difficult. It becomes something that will fade. I'll give you an illustration between the difference between a project and a person. When I graduated college, my first job was to be a catering sales manager at a Holiday Inn in Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania, the home of Joe Namath. That was its claim to fame. And I would go around my job. They would have proms there and wedding receptions there. Businesses would have meetings. It was a a room probably this size or a little bit bigger. You could divide it up into smaller rooms. And I would go visit places trying to, you know, these businesses, hey, would you like to have a, a meeting here or a party here or whatever, Christmas event or things like that. And I hated it. Hated it with a passion. This was not my calling, not my cup of tea. I, I didn't like it at all. I had to talk about wedding receptions and flowers and chairs, and people would spend 30 minutes, whether it was corn or carrots, and I'm like, just pick one, you know. <laughs> it was not my thing. And the only reason I did it is because I needed to eat. This was my first job. I had my first place. I had a car payment. I had a student loan payment. And I needed the money. And so I did it. And I did it for about 10 months. And then that was done with that. Go find something else. And that was something I had to do. It was a project. But with something that, that changes you, like this thing. The reason I ran out and grabbed this thing. This is a steel mug. You know, follow me with this. When these things first came out, people were talking about it, and I, you know, said these are great to keep your drink cold. And I thought, well, you know, this is, I had a, one of the first ones I got. I was like, well, let's see what they're talking about. So I put some ice in it and poured my, my Coke in there. And I went, you know, drank, okay, it's cold right away, and put it in my car. I was over in Tennessee at the time in the summertime. And I drove somewhere, and I got out, and I went into this building, whatever, I don't know what I was doing. And it was about four or five, six hours I was in this building. This is the dead of summer when the inside of your car gets hotter than 
you know, the ninth circle. It was just, you know, it's 100,000 degrees inside your car. And I came out five or six hours later, and I got in my car, and I looked down, and I saw the, the, the mug. And it, there was no beads of sweat on the outside. It wasn't soaking wet or anything like that. And I was like, well, let's, let's see. And I grabbed it, and when I picked it up, I heard the clink, clink of the ice cubes. It still had ice cubes. And I did something that no one in their right mind should ever do, and that's take a sip of something that was cold that had been in a car in the south for five hours in the summer. I was like, let's test it out. And I had a sip of it, and it was still cold. My Coke was still cold. It wasn't just water with a little Coke in it. It was still cold. I thought, this is great. And do you know what I started to do? Everybody I would meet, what did I tell them about? My stainless steel mug. I'd be like, this is going to change the way you drink things. If you like cold drinks, you're going to buy one of these and put ice in it. You're going to drink your Coke. And I didn't drink much coffee at the time, but I've since discovered it it does pretty well with hot beverages as well. It keeps it hot, keeps it cold, whatever it is that you want. You need one of these things. I talked to people about how a steel mug changed things for me. (laughs) Do I have that same passion about a Savior who changed me? You see, when we're truly affected and changed by Christ... When he has truly radically saved us, it flows. We want to talk to people about how he changed us. So I want you to think for just a moment while I'm kind of speaking through this. How has Christ changed you? Have you ever written it down? Have you ever written out your testimony? I always encourage people to do this. Just take some time. Even if it takes you a couple of days, you know, a few minutes here or there, write down. How would your life be different today if you didn't know Jesus? If the story of Jesus had never been told to you, how would your marriage be different? How would your relationship with your children be different? How would your purpose and direction be different? When I was, you know, in my early 20s and I was far from the Lord, I was on a path of who knows what, probably failed this, failed that, a life of whatever. But when God pulled me back and I started following him again and I started to, to see the work of Christ in my life and I got married, became a pastor. Not, that's not the story for everybody, but I see how Christ changed me. And as I'm able to talk with people and I see people and the conversation finally switches to spiritual things, spiritual issues, I have a place of saying, listen, this is how Jesus changed me. And more important than any of the things I talk about in this world, I can say, and he put me on a path to have an eternal life with him. I have a future and a hope. I have a place to look forward to. And so when I know that about myself, I look and I go, evangelism is not just some project, some list to check off, some some thing I'm supposed to do because the pastor of the church gets on my case about it. It's something that comes out from within me because I have a relationship with Christ. So I encourage you this week, Write it down. Make it a priority in your life to have that, be just, just remembering it, knowing it, thinking through it. Because when you do that, trust me, it brings memories, brings thoughts back up to yourself to say, yes, I need to tell people about this. We see Jesus that he met the need. He, he started talking to her about both the good and the bad, didn't he? He told her about, you know, the, the, the living water. Whoever drinks this water will be thirsty, but whoever, verse 14, whoever drinks the water I give him will never be thirsty again. This sounds really good to her, doesn't it? Give me this water. I'm looking forward to this. That's great. He tells her the good news. Then what does he say? He kind of brings up the bad side of it. Go get your husband. She says, well, I don't have a husband, which is 
oh, how people are good at kind of, kind of the truth, kind of not the truth. Jesus, you're right. You already had five, and the one you're with now isn't the one. It makes her think about her sin. You see, evangelism is really, you don't want to overcomplicate it. It's there's a God who has a righteous, holy standard of perfection. There's humans that don't live up to it in some capacity. All of us have that sin that's there. And there is a Savior that bridges the gap. And as we've spent looking at the first three chapters, whoever believes in him, what Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him, belief in Jesus Christ, he's the Savior and your Lord of your life, bridges the gap between a holy, righteous God and a person who falls short. One of the things that we have to make sure that we are not doing is not skirting over the bad news. That is a, a common, growingly common mistake in Western Christianity is not to talk about sin, not to bring it up, not to mention it. As a pastor, I can't tell you how many books I've read, things I get, conferences I've been, where I actually have people say, Preacher, don't talk about sin too much. Makes people feel awkward. That's the point. If you just come and hear good, positive fluff, and then you go out saying, Woohoo, I'm ready for Monday. No, you're not. There's a lot in this about confessing sin, being aware of our sin. Yes, we need the good and the bad, but we need to make sure people understand they need a Savior. Now, our job is not to provide the conviction. That's the Holy Spirit. Our job is to provide the information. What the Word of God says, that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. It's over and over. You can probably go on every page of the Bible, find something that emphasizes that truth. And there are people, I've met them, that try and hem and haw and say, well, I've, they're like this woman. They deflect. They defer. I don't have a husband. Let me go. Sir, I see you're a prophet. She does everything except, but he keeps going after the sin. And what Jesus does is he begins to do this. And you see this in verse 21. I want you to look at this again. I want you to listen to what he says here. He says, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you don't know, we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Jesus begins to divide the world into two camps. Those that don't know Christ, those that do. Those that are the true worshipers, those are the true worshipers, those that are the false. Those that are lost, those that are saved. There's not all the little distinctions that we make. Jesus said, listen, there's one of two ways you're going in this world. This is what evangelism is. It's presenting, listen, there are two paths, two ways. There's one broad one, one narrow one. There's saved, there's lost, however you want to describe it. That's part of what we talk about when we're evangelistic, as we share this with people. And then we do what he does at the very last verse. She says to him, I know the Messiah is coming, the Christ, when he comes, he'll tell us all things. Jesus said, I'm, I'm that guy. Some people say Jesus never claimed to be the Messiah. I don't know what Bible they read. He does it multiple times. Here's one of them. I am he. Jesus had made it plain to Nicodemus in the previous chapter. Belief in him. Belief in who he is. If you go back to chapter 1 and you remember when uh, Andrew and Simon Peter are talking, he says to his own brother in verse 41, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. It is this recognition that Jesus is is the Son of God. He is the one who died for the sins of the world. 
In other words, evangelism ends at a decision. It ends at a point of somebody saying, I'm with Christ or no. It's hard to get to that point. But as we develop relationships, and I don't care how you've done it, whether you're in a golf league, you go to the pregnancy center, you go down to step ministries, you have friends at work that you're just going out to lunch with, you go down to the coffee shop just to befriend people, as you begin to have those conversations about spiritual things and you talk about heaven and hell and good and bad, there comes a point where you say, listen, do you want to follow Jesus Christ? Do you want to put your faith and trust in him? As many of you know, my father-in-law passed away this week, Julie's dad. He had been sick with cancer for the past, well, who knows how long. We knew for about five weeks. And Tuesday, he went to the doctor. He had a heart attack while he was there. He passed away later that evening. And Friday, we had the funeral. My father-in-law was a very godly man. He, uh, when Julie did the judge's Bible study, she would call him beforehand, and they'd go over Ehud and Jephthah and all of those judges, and he would call her, and she would come home from the judge's study to talk about how it went. I was like, you're married to a preacher, but hey, you can talk to her, you know. <laughs> she talked to me too, but. But they would talk back and forth about that and share a lot of things about Christ. And at his funeral on Friday, the pastor that was doing the, the pastor at his church was doing the funeral, and he said something that just kind of fits in with this. He said, right now, you know, not right now, he had passed away a couple of days before, but he said at the moment of his death, the moment when that time came, the only thing that mattered to Ken, that's his name, was his relationship with Jesus Christ. All of the things that he had spent his life earning, the things he had built, the possessions that he had, all of those things meant nothing save for knowing Jesus Christ. And he was right. I was sitting there in the front row thinking, just that's captured it. And I was thinking about this, just going, that's why our lives are supposed to be about evangelism. All of the other things that we spend so much time, energy, and effort on burn away. They disappear. They fade away. And how often do me, as a pastor, do I sit there and look at the free time that I have, the relationships that I have, the opportunities I have, and say, how can I use this to reach people? We started the, the service this morning. Ben started by reading a passage out of Psalms 96. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Is that the characteristic of our lives? Do we tell people day to day? Is evangelism something that is on the forefront of our minds? Are we looking for the bridges? Are we recognizing those walls? Are we about the business of the kingdom? Most of the weeks when I get up here to preach, before I start preaching, I say, we're going to pray for people we know that are lost. I didn't do that this morning because I was waiting to the end. And what I want you to do is to bow your heads. There's a couple of things I'm going to structure right now that I want you to pray for before I give you some time to pray and then I close. I want you to pray yes for the, 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 the people that you know you need to be bridge to, the evangelistic opportunities. For many of you, it's people you know, you love, you care about. But what I want you to also pray is that God would place upon your heart a passion to share his love and his gospel with people. 
that he would give you a desire today to write out your testimony, that he would give you the desire to look for the bridges in your life, to take the, the, the joys that you have, the hobbies, the things that you like, that he would give you a passion to use those for his kingdom. Would you pray that this morning? Lord, in our lives, we know sharing the truth, being a witness to you is important. It's of the utmost importance. And Lord, myself and probably all of us know that we're just not about it as much as we should be. So Lord, this morning, I pray that we don't dwell on past mistakes or failures, but Lord, we look forward, we look to the future, that you would give us a passion. Lord, not just just Cornerstone and the other churches around here, believers, that we would organize and fashion our lives, not around vacations and not around free times and sporting events. And, but, Lord, we would look for the opportunities to build relationships with people. Lord, that as life groups, not only would we share our prayer requests, but we would share how we are forming roads, of evangelistic roads into other people's lives, that we would share our, our triumphs, we would share our fears, we share our failures. We would question and challenge each other to be on mission. Lord, I pray that as a pastor, I know it starts with, with me in many ways. Lord, that I would be about your, your kingdom business. Lord, I thank you and praise you for the service this morning. I praise you for each person here. pray that as we leave here this morning, we go about our, our week Lord, we don't just have encouragement, Lord, but we have a passion and a purpose and a desire to share you with others. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you. You are dismissed.